0: Mark's great, but Sherman's more exciting.
1: (laughs) Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through therapy. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Raw Safari Podcast. Y'all, I've got a really fun little interview for you today. Um, it's, it's another one of the shorter ones that we've had, clocking in around a half hour long. But it is a good one. So uh, I thought that it's been just a little bit too long since we had an episode dedicated to red pandas. Uh, and so we are going to do an episode about red pandas. I know. You're shocked. But of course, even if you've listened to all of the episodes about red pandas, you know that every single one of them is different because every single red panda is different. And uh, today is no exception. So um, I actually, you know, it's kind of a, a funny story how this episode came to be, um, you know, there are a bunch of different ways that episodes happen and some of them are just very organic and some of them are me reaching out and begging and, and, you know, sometimes facilities reach out to me. It's, it's really all over the place. Uh, but in this case, I reached out to the Brandywine Zoo a little over a year ago Uh, I had done my interview there with Brent, their director. If you haven't heard it, go back and check that one out. It is a great episode and gives a really good look at how a small but mighty ACA facility functions and functions really, really well. Uh, And shortly after that, I, I reached back out to them and I said, hey, this was awesome. I appreciated having you all on the podcast and I would like to come and do an episode about Shermie and Mohu, the red pandas that live there. And, uh, you know, there were, there was some chat and it all looked good and, and, um, and then, then nothing. And see, one of the things you have to understand, I am not upset about that situation because uh, Brandywine Zoo is one of those zoos that is government run. And as such, there are lots of hoops to jump through and, you know, That's good. Taking care of the animals, taking care of the people, always very important. Uh, And then it's also a very small zoo, so there are a lot of events going on, and sure enough, you know – I'm guessing my email just kind of got buried at the end of the inbox, which is totally fine. Moved on, had a great year of episodes. <laughs> and then uh, I, I just get this email out of the blue. Hey, John, sorry uh, for the delay, but uh, would you like to come and talk to us about Red Pandas? And, and so um, my answer was shockingly... Yes. And so that is what I did. So uh, it was pretty cool. Zoe and I headed to Brandywine Zoo and we got to sit down and um, have a conversation, not just about the red pandas, don't you worry. Uh, but we talked to the assistant curator, Amy Haddock, who deals with a bunch of animals, including Andean condors and lemurs and tortoises. And uh, yeah, also also those red pandas. So uh, we do a great little quick interview. And then after that, we headed out to the panda exhibit to do a nice training session, observation, and uh, chat. About the red pandas at the zoo. So this is just another one of those fun little deep dives. But uh, we were on a tight schedule, and so it's it's not the longest, but um, it's it's action packed, y'all. Uh, Sherman especially was just a ridiculously. Uh, fun and and well-trained and well-behaved Red Panda, and it was great to see the connection that he has with his keeper, Mark, and to hear all about it from uh, from Amy, exactly what was going on. So before I share that with you, just a quick reminder that you can support the podcast uh, in a variety of ways. You can do so financially by going to patreon.com slash Safari, and you can become a patron there for as little as $3 a month. You can also send a one-time donation to me on Venmo at Rossafari. And hey, I'm not just looking for money here, y'all. If you would like to support the pod in another way, the best thing that you can do to help people find this podcast is by going to whatever app that you listen on, especially if it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and leaving a five-star rating. And if you could take the extra time to leave a review, it really, really helps. You know, it's a new year. Maybe you didn't make a New Year's resolution. Maybe you could resolve to help the podcast out by spending 30 seconds in doing that. It, it really does make a big difference the way algorithms and... Stuff that I don't really understand works. So uh, yeah, consider doing that. Make sure you are subscribed, of course, and make sure you're following along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on TikTok at Ross Safari Pod. You know, all those good things. It's all support. It all helps, and I appreciate it. Uh, I'm recording this episode in Phoenix. It's the end of my run with Great Balls of Fire. Here, I'll actually be flying back to Buffalo tomorrow. And then I'm heading off to a pretty cool performance in New York City before taking a little bit of time off from the drumming to focus on some other things, including trying to grow this podcast. I've got some really cool interviews already recorded and some more planned. And I'm just uh I'm really excited to see what 2023 brings for this podcast because 2022 was off the charts. And I, I think it's just gonna keep going and keep growing, y'all. So there's gonna be some surprises on the socials, surprises on the pod, you name it, we're going to be having a good time, and I am grateful for you being here. Uh, But for now, let's stop talking about me and start talking about red pandas and the awesome people that take care of them, like Amy Haddock at the Brandywine Zoo. All right, so why don't we start off by you telling me uh, who you are, where we are, and what you do here.
0: Hi, my name is Amy Haddock, and I'm the Assistant Curator at the Brandywine Zoo. We have the only AZA-accredited zoo in the state of Delaware, so we're really proud of that.
1: That's shocking. Delaware is huge. I don't... Wait, oh, wait, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the only zoo in Delaware, even, I should say. <laughs>
1: nice, nice. And um, yeah, and I, I love it here. Um, I, it is it is great. I, I live about a half hour away from here, even though, uh, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, but and I have actually played some shows down here at Delaware Theatre Company, so i was able to come to the zoo every day before going to work while I was doing that, which was just lovely. Um, so you are, you are. You said the associate curator?
0: Assistant curator. Or assistant,
1: sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the assistant to the curator. No, I'm yes. it. <laughs> Going into the office a little bit. But um, what does that mean exactly?
0: So that means I basically moved over from being a zookeeper. I was a lead keeper here, so I was out taking care of the exhibits, the animals. Kind of moved to more of a desk job, but I do still feel like a keeper. We're taking care of the animals. I do now more of the ordering for the commissary, making sure we have all the food that we need, the produce, our meat that comes in, making sure all of that is organizing, um, scheduling the keepers so they'll will be assigned which exhibit that they work in for the day. So a little more desk job, but I get to get out as much as I can.
1: That's good. That's good. And um, how long have you been here?
0: I've been here for three and a half years. Okay. All right.
1: Cool. Uh, when you were lead keeper, what uh, track were you on?
0: I was leakeeper of area two, so when the lemurs came, I got put in charge of starting the Madagascar exhibit, so I got to go down and pick them up at the facilities that they were coming from and kind of get that building up and running, so that was very exciting. I do take care of the red pandas here, the Andean condors, um the serval. So we kind of split our zoo into area one and area two. Okay.
1: Very, very cool. Yeah. And uh, when Brent was on here, uh, the Madagascar was happening and we we got to talk all about that. What an awesome exhibit. That must've been really exciting for you to go and get All of the things.
0: It was. So, me and another keeper got to go down to Duke Lemur Center. Mm -hmm. We spent the night down there because of COVID. We weren't able to tour the facility, but we were going to meet some of the keepers, talk to them about the lemurs that we were getting, learn some of their characteristics, and then drive them up the next day and put them in all together.
1: Nice. Yeah. I actually, um, one of the fun revelations that uh, we had when Brent and I were talking, and I don't remember the name, but one of the lemurs that is here now, I have lemur art from them from when I was at Duke and I got the art and I have the, the drawing and it has their name on it. And Brent was saying, was here and it's like, wait, I know that name. I have <laughs> awesome.
0: yeah. I know. It's such a small world. <laughs> I know. Right. It's
1: always so exciting. <laughs> um, so, uh, you, you mentioned, um, red pandas and I kind of like them a little bit. So, um, how long have you been working with the pandas here?
0: So Red Pandas, this is my first year that I've worked with Red Pandas. So about three and a half years. I started as the lee keeper over their exhibit. So I learned everything I could about Red Pandas and then really learned their individuals that we have specifically.
1: Okay. And I think we'll we'll head out and talk, you know, about them a little bit at sure. the exhibit. That'll mm-hmm. be fun. Uh so we'll we'll it's as hard as it is for me to do this, we'll we'll Hold off on that for a second. But um, you, you mentioned, you know, you've been here for three and a half years. Where did you come from? What Tell me about your history as far as go all the way back. Tell me, when did you know that you liked animals? When did you want to do this? All that stuff.
0: Okay, so I grew up in South Jersey. I kind of always was into the outdoors, into animals. When I went to go to the National Aquarium in Baltimore, I got to help feed the dolphins in the show. I think that was probably the selling point for me. I think all zookeepers have that moment. You realize somebody's getting paid to do this. Uh, That's awesome. (laughs) So I went to Stockton, which is down in South Jersey. I majored in marine biology down there. And then I moved to Minnesota and interned out there. was there for about two and a half years. I interned with bottlenose dolphins. Then I got a job working with Alaskan sea otter pups. So they got two that were stranded that year. So they went to Minnesota, we raised them 24 hours a day working with sea otters. Then I wanted to kind of move back to the New Jersey area, so I worked at Adventure Aquarium in New Jersey. I was there for about eight years.
1: Oh, wow. Then okay. I moved
0: down to Nashville, Tennessee, was working in the commissary and on the primate team there for five years. Then again, I just like the Northeast, so I've come to stay finally, and Brandywine Zoo is right in the area that I wanted to live in.
1: Nice. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, I I love Adventure Aquarium. I think I've done five episodes from there. Awesome. They're, they're very cool. Um, and the Nashville Zoo actually was one one of the early zoos that got on board and sent me a bunch of keepers and I think my first episode was from there and awesome. yeah just so very cool facilities. I love how small and interconnected all of this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you were at adventure, what did you do? Tell me just a little bit about your time there.
0: So I started there as a biologist technician. I worked a touch tank so I would stand and you know monitor all the touch exhibits then I got promoted to the water quality mm-hmm. technician. so I did all the water quality testing would go around and get samples from the exhibits every day. Then I moved to the birds and mammals team. I worked with the program animals there, so the parrots, the more up-close animals. Then I got put in charge of the seal exhibit, which is why I went to go work there. Marine mammals is really what I set out to do. I majored in marine biology. They decided that they would no longer exhibit seals. So once the seals left, then I worked with the hippos there. So I kind of did a little bit of everything at the aquarium.
1: Very cool. Uh, When did they get rid of seals?
0: That would have been, I left in 2014. 2014. Maybe 2009, 10. Okay, that makes Around sense. I, was saying, I,
1: I know mm-hmm. I've never seen them there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. That's very cool. But Jenny and Button are very special. They
0: are, yeah. yes. Yeah, we
1: did a whole episode <laughs> about Jenny and Button, and I got to meet them. They are just the best nice I
0: actually got to start the hippo kiss so it was in my goals one year for my evaluation like what do you want to do I said I'd like to paint with the hippos so we started it and now seeing how much they get to donate to conservation from selling the kips, kisses makes me feel good and We're one of them I was just yeah, saying one young. of them is hanging awesome. right
1: behind me whenever I'm working Button, on the podcast yeah. awesome I love yeah it. yeah it's buttons yeah oh, <laughs> so good so good very cool mm-hmm. and then um was it hard since you majored in biology and everything was it hard to go from you know aquatics 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 to Nashville Zoo.
0: I wouldn't say hard. It's kind of you take what you can get as a zookeeper. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a position in the area that you're moving towards, you'll really take what you can get. I would say animal training, once you've done that, it kind of rotates from different species. So you started training with marine mammals. It actually translated really nice when I worked with primates. So I never thought I would be a primate keeper, but it kind of fell into that. Now I'm here at Brandywine and we got the lemurs. So you never really know what's going to come your way.
1: Interesting. Was it... um which came first? Because I don't remember all the timing on this. You or the lemurs here? I know that you like helped build, but let me let me rephrase that question a little bit, because I know you helped go get them. I was paying attention, I promise. <laughs> but what I mean is, did you come here with the knowledge that that was going to be a thing and that you'd be able to translate your primate skills, or was it just that like you got here and then there were like, lemurs, and you were like, primates! And, it you know.
0: was the second one. I, okay. got, I got lucky cool. with that. Yeah. So I started, and the construction and the planning was underway. They hadn't really started demolition over there of the area where they would start it, but all the plans were in the works. So construction started not long after I started here. Then I got to watch it be built. It was in the other area that I was not in charge of, but because I had primate experience, we decided to rework the zoo so that I would be overseeing that building.
1: Nice. Very cool. Um, Is it challenging for you for keepers in general whenever like a decision is made like that to like rework stuff is it i mean you know do you think it's hard do do people go off tracks and animals that they love and that kind of thing or how does that all work
0: i think it's kind of part of it you know you really you expect to work with marine mammals and then you end up with primates and kind of go with where it takes you so i would say the restructure really wasn't that hard it kind of made sense by the areas of the exhibits in our zoo anyway so it almost worked in our favor to, to make that change
1: that's really cool and is it do you think it's hard for them because it's such a huge zoo that you can't go and just see them. On, I'm kidding, obviously. <laughs> Tiny but mighty zoo. I love it. Um, and actually, speaking of, I mean, it's been a while since I've been able to be here. And uh, the, the last time I was here, there was a little bit of construction and this 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 big empty lot and this discussion about how there was going to be some new stuff happening. And then we're walking up here today and I just see this big, gorgeous building. Talk to me about that a little bit. So
0: that is our new animal care center. It is gorgeous. It's, you know, it's Three times probably even more than that the size of our old hospital that we were working out of so we have a separate room for necropsy separate room for exams a second room for you know laboratory testing things like that we have areas large enough for to bring in new animals for quarantine we had a small quarantine space so now even opens up the doors for the amount of species or the size of the species that we'd be able to bring in that's really really excited for that
1: yeah that is it i i mean we both like paused when we were walking up and like whoa look at that that's really (laughs) pretty so that's that's very cool Uh, Are there any other plans that you know of to to keep expanding and and changing and growing?
0: So our next big thing will be down at the front entrance. We're getting flamingos. We'll redo our whole entryway. We'll have a couple other species in that exhibit. um, But flamingos will be the the next new thing here for us.
1: Nice. Very Mm -hmm. cool. Flamingos are always really exciting. They're also really weird. And smelly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so smelly. So smelly. (laughs) We've had more than our fair share of uh, Poop Stories. Poop Story. The flamingo. Yeah. You know. uh, yeah. Very cool. So um I know that you're not supposed to say this word, but I'm going to make you say it anyway. Tell me about your favorite or some of your favorites
0: here. I know we're not allowed to say it, but I do always say before the lemurs got here, it was the Indian condors. They okay. were just a different species than anything I had worked with before. Bigger birds than I had ever been around, so just really intrigued me. I really like working with them. Ours are in a training program. They're trained to get into a crate, onto a scale. So to be able to work with them in that training program was really, really, really fascinating for me. Once the lemurs got here, I have to admit the crown lemurs have stolen my heart.
1: The crowns are so good.
0: (laughs) I've worked with ringtails and rough lemurs before. I'd never worked with crowns. Something about those little guys. Just, I love them. Nice.
1: Very (laughs) cool. And they're all in a mixed species exhibit. Mm -hmm. How do they all get along?
0: We've been really lucky. Just this past year, we had some dynamics with our ringtail group. They were only two years old when they got here, so they were pretty young, not a lot of dynamics going on. This year, going into breeding season, we did see some aggression with our ringtails, standard primate aggression. We have females in there growing into breeding season. The, ma- the males are now four years old, so they're starting to feel that a little more for themselves as well. So, typical breeding season dynamics, but for the most part, they get along, they're back together, cuddling. You know, every day now. So it's like it never happened.
1: Very (laughs) cool. And um, it's not just lemurs in that exhibit.
0: It's not. We have four radiated tortoises in there, all of which were confiscated. One is the oldest animal here at Brandywine Zoo at 54 years old. That's Atsimo. And then we also have two female guinea fowl in there. If you come, you can hear them all the way out in the parking lot. They'll greet you before you even enter the zoo. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep, I love that. I love the the, the tortoise and lemur. I, I, I love mixed-species exhibits. I think mm-hmm. it's always a very cool idea. And do all of these species get along well? Do they interact at all, or is it they just kind of live and let live? Or
0: Every once in a while, the, the lemurs will decide that the tortoise or the guinea fowl is the fascinating thing of the day. There might be a little bit of chasing going on. Um, if they wanted to, they could catch them, but right. they really don't. And so I think it's more just play, interest, keeping themselves occupied for the day. So for the most part, not... Not any aggression between the other species besides the lemurs.
1: Makes sense. No, that's mm-hmm. very cool. And um, yeah, I think sometimes other species are the best uh, best enrichment you can have. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned the condor training stuff a bit. Tell me about it. Tell me how you train. And first of all, how big are the condors?
0: The condors are big. They weigh about, you know, 10 kilograms, so that's, you know, a little over 20, 25 pounds, depending on the individual. They used to be free contact here, but we have moved to protected contact, so we don't ever enter the same space as the condors. But they are target trained, so they will touch their beaks to the end of a target pole. We can use that to move them around from holding stall to holding stall. We started with target, then we actually put shifting on cue, so we can just give them a shift cue and they'll shift from either their dens or large holding to small holding now they are in the animal care center they're inside for the winter time for avian influenza just precautionary mm-hmm. so it was great that we could put them you know have them go into a crate move them down into the ACC. No problem. Less stress on us and less stress on them. They voluntarily created. Right now we are currently working on a beak dremel um, behavior. Okay. So we're training our male to stick his beak through a piece of plexi and then we would be able to dremel his beak down. That way it gets a little bit sharp, comes to a point. That way if he ever wants to get aggressive with the female, he's not actually going to cut her with that sharp beak. So that's the big thing we're working on now. They are trained to have voluntary injections so they can get their vaccines voluntarily. They'll just come up and present their chest to the mesh and our vet's able to to do those injections right then and there.
1: That's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andean condors are very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool birds. Yeah. They, um, there is, um, an ambassador, Andy and Condor, um, that you may or may not know. Andy and Condor being that you <laughs> yeah. know. Yes, you know, out in Utah. I'm really, really hoping. I'm trying to figure out this this trip for for early next year. And uh, that would be on the way. And I'm really, really hoping I can go meet Perfect.
0: Andy. Perfect. I hope you do. Yeah, I'll have to listen in.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's Andy's awesome. Um, so... Tell me, from going to, you know, from big facilities to small facilities and such, what do you think, like, the advantage or even, you know, disadvantage of being at a a small facility might be?
0: I have to be honest. Coming to such a small facility from coming from larger facilities, I was a little nervous we would be busy all day or maybe too many people working. That's not the case. We are so busy here just for being a little zoo. We barely even see each other throughout our day. (laughs) We have a morning meeting, and then we all go disperse, and you might see each other at lunch and then at the end of the day. So we stay pretty busy here. I do like that aspect. For me, I'm looking to kind of find the place I want to be at forever. I've worked at a couple different facilities, gotten to done that moving around that you have to do when you're a zookeeper to get your experience. I'm back where my family's from. I like this small little unit that we have. It's almost like we're a family. We're a lot closer. The communication is a little bit easier for us um, because we are a smaller family.
1: Cool. Very cool. Uh, is there a uh, like an ASAC um, chapter here?
0: We do. So we have, we call it Zach So it's the Brandywine Zoo's chapter. I mentioned that we're getting ready to plan a concert for conservation. So hopefully that will be our next big event sometime next spring.
1: Nice. What, I mean, so how does that, like, what goes into that? I'm really curious because like, I I would think that it would be, I mean, planning a concert as somebody who, you know, does that is, is uh, a lot of work and, and, you know, y'all are, zookeepers busy to begin with so like how does that all come come together and and whose idea was that and and how how does that happen
0: so, Bazak, it's all uh, zookeepers that volunteer their own time. So, we all do it, you know, on our own time planning events. It's kind of what we thought we would be doing when we set out to be zookeepers. We want to feel like we're making that difference. We mm-hmm. want to feel that more of a direct impact that we're having on conservation itself. So, what we do is we're starting. We have a concert for conservation idea. What we start is is contacting a couple local venues, places that have live music to begin with. Would they be willing to do a fundraiser event? We have three facilities that we're working with now for potential dates and, you know, who will give us the most kind of bang for our buck there, you know, who will give the most p- percentage of alcohol sold or tickets sold. And then once you decide on the percentage of all of that, then we can start making flyers and handing them out to people. So
1: Nice. And yeah. is that something that you ever thought you'd be doing when you were like studying animals and trying to get into keeping?
0: No. (laughs) That's awesome. I did not. Yeah. 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 I love that. The planning the event, it really makes you feel like when it's your idea or the thing that you kind of started, it really makes you feel like you made a difference Mm when your event's over.
1: No, I really dig that. I dig that a lot. I, um, yeah, that is something that over the last bunch of years I have just, I've kept taking on roles and seeing new things and trying new things and coming up with new ideas and making them happen, including this podcast, which when I had the idea, I literally was like, I don't know how to do this. And now here we are almost, well, I guess, over two and a half years later and I'm like doing the thing. (laughs) So yeah, I, I'm always really inspired when I hear tales of people, you know, going out of their comfort zone to make a difference. I think that's really cool. Um, you know, you mentioned conservation being so important to you and to the keepers here in general. Uh, what, um, what impact on conservation beyond the, the Zach stuff specifically, uh, do you see here?
0: Uh, so we do work well, a lot with local things. So we have, um, we work with a local kestrel program. So we do kestrel banding. Nice, mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah, we did a lot for Lemur Conservation Network. So we worked with them as we were building Madagascar. So we donated, we actually just got pictures. I forget what number tree it was, but they just planted their however many tree out in Madagascar and sent us a picture of where our money went and, you know, them planting the tree. So when you get to see, you know, those impacts directly from Madagascar and things like that, it really, really hits home it makes you feel, reminds you why you're
1: here right no that's awesome that's Mm -hmm. awesome um very cool and then uh are there any like you know conservation organizations that you'd like to give a shout out to
0: Uh, i would like to give a shout out to the red panda network since we're talking about Mm -hmm. red pandas next year we are planning a red panda day for international red panda day it's september 18th so we'll have lots of different activities and things here going on at the zoo so we encourage everybody to come out see our red pandas and kind of join in the activities for that
1: by the way their volunteer, who you will probably be talking to for that.
0: Hi, hi. I, I, I volunteer Beyond with the look them. At, so yes, we're registering yeah. next year. Nice, so. perfect, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I
1: volunteer with Red Panda Network, uh, coordinating zoo stuff for IRPD, as well as I'm one of their writing volunteers. Awesome. I, again, another thing that came from just starting this and and interviewing someone at Red Panda Network and just being like, oh, this is cool. I want to do more. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah I, we started
0: small this year, but next year we thought, okay, we're actually going to register our day and really. Get some plans rolling for that. Nice, I love that. For
1: that's red, very cool.
0: red. red Panda Day. Oh. Yeah,
1: yeah, RPD. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna register this year. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. I'm so excited about that, and I'm going to immediately go and tell Terrence at Red Panda Network about that.
0: Yes, be awesome. <laughs> on the lookout for us. He's be hearing from me.
1: That's so awesome. Um, very cool. Is there anything else uh, that you want to say about the zoo or the animals here or any of that good stuff?
0: I would just say, like I said in the beginning, we are the only oh. zoo in Delaware. We're really proud of that. Um, Delaware State Parks just got state uh, best state parks of all fifty states this past wow. year. We got reaccredited for Aza, so Ooh. lots of things to be proud of here. And I'm really proud, glad to be part of the team.
1: That's awesome. And then it is time. It's time now, don't you know? We we'll come to the end of the show, I'm but there's one tale left to go. I'm You're gonna laugh and say, "Oh no!" It's time for the raw safari poop story. Come on. All right.
0: Does <laughs> it have to be poop? I thought of something gross nope. that really Just- has stuck with me. Okay, so one of the f- most fascinating, grossest things that I have experienced was on an necropsy of a sand tiger shark. The vet cut out the heart and held it up and showed us it was beating. He put it on the table and nothing attached to any body, and the the heart beat itself across the table. <laughs> oh, that's and so slid. weird! Says so it was still beating. You know, not attached to any animal. The animal had been dead, but the heart was you know, beading, and it slid across the table as it, it was. That's so weird. <laughs> with me. The image is still there like it was yesterday. I love that. That is so
1: good. That is so cool.
0: <laughs> so not poop, but gross. Yeah, no, very, very <laughs> gross. Cool.
1: Very gross and cool. Yes, yes, awesome. Um, Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking time to do this, and uh, let's go spend some time with pandas, yeah? Awesome.
0: Thank you so much. All
1: right, so uh, tell me what we are doing here at the exhibit
0: hi so mark one of the red pandas trainers is in the exhibit while we're standing outside observing right now he's working with our male sherman He is working on a target stick, so Sherman is trained to come over, touch his nose to the end of that target pole. We can use that behavior to move the pandas around the exhibit. They also know what is called a station, so he has a bowl with them. A station is where the pandas will come over, and they will sit at that station bowl, so they'll stay in the same place. They can eat out of that bowl, Mark can put more food in there as he's working with the other panda. So he's working on bringing our male around to the table, so he'll be up front and center for us.
1: Excellent. I I always like pandas up front and center. And uh, this is Sherman, right, who I believe often goes by Shermie as well. I have heard, yes.
0: A lot of different names. Shermworm, (laughs) Shermie. But his name is Sherman. He got that name because when he was younger, he was built like a tank. So he was pretty beefy when he was younger. Moho is a little bit larger than Sherman is right now. And Sherman is 10 years old and Moho is 9 years old.
1: Oh, okay. So, they're, they're yeah, they're getting up there a bit. That's really cool. Um, I'm curious. I know that they have been here for a while now, and a lot of times pandas move around for the SSP breeding stuff. Uh, do these two have a wreck, or are they retired at this point, or what's the deal with that?
0: So, right now, they are not on a breeding recommendation. We started exhibiting red pandas in 2014. We had two females. Their names were Meridoc and Gansu. They uh, became sexually mature, so they were sent out to other zoos on a breeding recommendation from Species Survival Plan. So they went to start their own families. We still wanted to continue exhibiting red pandas. So we got Sherman and Mohu. They are not, like I said, on a breeding recommendation right now. That could always change in the future. If their genes become less represented, they may decide that we're going to breed them in the future.
1: Sure, absolutely. If you want, I can uh, put in good word for you with Sarah Glass. We're sure. buddies. So. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to have a baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, cool. So um, how do these two get along?
0: For the most part, we say it's like a brother-sister relationship. Sometimes you really like being around each other. You tolerate one another. Other times, you really don't want them around you, and you want some of your alone time. So sometimes Mohu will go in the den. She takes her alone time in there. Other times, they'll be snuggling on on the same shelf together.
1: That's really cute. And can you talk about this behavior that we're doing right now here?
0: Mm-hmm. So right now he has him focused on on Mark's hands. So he's going to give him a hand cue. He can point and then Sherman will move to where he's pointing. He can also give him a hand cue. He can have him sit. he can follow his eyes. We can get measurement girths on Sherman so we can take a measuring tape. We can do it around his belly and from tip to end tip of his nose to the end of his tail and get his length measurements as well.
1: Very cool. And um, tell me a little bit about uh, his personality. Uh, Sherman's, not Mark's. I don't I don't care about Mark's. No
0: offense. <laughs> Mark's great, but Sherman's more exciting. Yeah, fair. <laughs> so right there, that's an up behavior. So he'll come on up. Sherman is very willing to participate in his training. He's a lot more willing than Mohu, probably why Mark chose to work with Sherman this morning. It is all voluntarily, so if they don't want to choose to participate in their training session, that's okay. Sherman's usually the one that's looking at his trainers as they come in. Wanting to know, are we going to do a training session? Do you have any food for me? Mohu kind of hangs out on her own and kind of waits for you to come to her.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I do notice that Mohu is watching, though.
0: She is watching. She's kind of like, do do you have anything worth it down there for me to come on over? If you have something good enough, maybe I'll participate. If you don't have the good stuff, it's probably not worth my energy. We usually will use apples or pears to train them, and then grapes are really a jackpot. If we bring out the grapes, it's something that we've been working on, and we really want to reward them for figuring it out.
1: Nice. Uh, how are you able to figure out which ones work best? Like what's the, the more high value reward and which ones are, are, you know, more basic,
0: basically trial and error. Um, They do get leaf eater biscuits, and that's the majority of their diet, so we're not going to come in and bring that in when they have that all the time kind of to be able to eat when they want to. So we bring in things that they don't have all the time. We use apples and pears, and sometimes they can even be picky if the ripeness is not exactly how they like it. So then we save grapes or something that we know that they'll have something they really like. If they haven't been wanting to do a behavior, all of a sudden they decide they're going to do it, we've got those grapes to jackpot them.
1: Nice. Very cool. And I know that that is true with... um... The bamboo as well that, that, uh, pandas can be very picky about the, um, just the quality of the leaf and like what type of bamboo and stuff, um, where do y'all get your bamboo from?
0: So we outsource our bamboo. We call him Bamboo John. So he's a man that lives in Pennsylvania and he has crews that go around and we'll cut locally and then they'll pack it up for us and call us when they have our bins full. We also grow it here at the zoo on ground. So we're able to cut on grounds if we need to as well. Sometimes they like stuff from Bamboo John better. Sometimes they like the on ground stuff better. We're always trying to see if they like it grown from different spots any better. It's really just day and time, which they decide they like.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I, I'm curious. Um, you have a bit of a mixed species exhibit here, although not intentionally. So tell me about how uh, these two get along with their uh, their exhibit partner, the squirrel.
0: <laughs> sometimes we have a squirrel party in here. We try different times of day to feed the pandas to see if we can limit the amount of squirrels in here. We do not. Uh, we couldn't find a time of day that works best. So sometimes we have a lot of squirrels in here. So pandas will be sitting right next to them on a shelf and just kind of watch them eat their biscuits. So they don't really care. What we do is we will weigh the pandas every other week to make sure that they're not gaining or losing too much weight. So if the squirrels are in here eating all of their food, pandas may start to lose a little bit of weight. That would indicate to us they're not getting enough food. We need to make sure we're, you know, kind of accounting for that. So as long as they're staying, maintaining their weight, they're getting enough food.
1: That's really cool. Yeah, I remember the first time I was here when I saw, like, a squirrel was basically cuddling with a panda almost. And I was like, um...
0: Pretty much. Pretty much. You walk by and one will jump out of a feeder and startle you. The panda will be like, I knew he was there. It's okay. (laughs) They learn to share, I guess.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Are these uh, fulgens or styani?
0: These are fulgens.
1: Okay, cool. And, um, you know, I'm... uh, I'm, distra- I'm sorry, I'm distracted by watching Sherman be a Sherman. But this is why I edit episodes. Um, how often do you all work on um, you know, training sessions with the pandas and such?
0: So you have to be rabies vaccinated in order to hand feed the pandas. You can feed them out of a bowl if you need to. As long as you're rabies vaccinated and we have a need to join the red panda team, we usually have around three to four people on our red panda training team. We try to get in here at least once a day. We do have a minimum to be on the team that you need to work with them at least once a week in order to maintain those behaviors, maintain your relationship with the animals. And then we have different trainers that work on different things. If you're shaping a new behavior, only one trainer at a time while they're working on that. Once they feel like the panda has learned it, they know that behavior... They can pass it off so that other people are able to work on that behavior as well.
1: Makes sense. I think that's interesting. You mentioned the rabies vaccinated bit. Um I like I, we were talking before we got rolling here and I have I've met plenty of red pandas and that has never been a, a requirement. Um what is it uh that do you know why that decision was made here?
0: They are vectors, so it's just safety for for everybody involved, you know, for them and for us. That way, you know, if one were to bite you, you don't even have to worry about that. Ours have never been tested positive for rabies. It's not because we they have it or anything. But because red pandas can be vectors, we just do it for safety.
1: I, I did not know that they were vectors, honestly. I, uh... Oh. Okay, Doctor Zoe. Okay, all right, all right. Veterinarian face. I'm, your hands in
0: their mouths. You know they've no, yeah. got sharp teeth. There, it's just to be. Just I mean, to be I'm saved. not going to pretend
1: that I've not gotten scratches or bites from a red <laughs> panda here or there. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> <don't know>.
0: Honestly, <laughs>
1: check my mouth for foam.
0: Honestly, okay, John, with your lifestyle, you probably should just go ahead and get vaccinated.
1: Some- <laughs> yeah. She's mentioned that to me as well, actually. Yeah, because we, we meet lots of animals doing this. Yeah, yeah. Zoe had to for. Uh, um, Becoming a vet. And so, yeah, she was like, you should probably just do
0: that. I had to get it in order to work with sea otters. So before you were ever allowed to enter the same space as them, you had to have your first set.
1: Nice. Very cool. So um, I really love this exhibit, and I love that there is so much um, natural enrichment so much you know hanging plants and or so many hanging plants and all kinds of really cool branches for them to run around on and explore and stuff uh how do you set that up and and you know can you tell me anything about it
0: so when we go to rebranch this exhibit we do actually contain the pandas so that they're not in the exhibit when we're going to do that there's about probably 10 very large logs in here some of them are about 10 feet long and about you know 8 to 10 inches in diameter. So they get very heavy and they're high above anyone's head. So we call in a team of our maintenance crew. We have about five guys in here. They'll bring out the old stuff and bring in the new stuff. And then there's a lot of planning that goes along of what will fit where, what can lean up against what. And then we get drills in there. Like I said, it's probably five people from our maintenance crew. Now another five keepers. So about 10 people in there. It takes all day to rebranch that. We try to do it at least twice twice a year. We like to switch it up as that bark starts to get smooth. We like it to have grit. On it. So as the bark starts to smooth out, we'll switch it out. That way, they can have things to climb on. They're able to grip on that as they're climbing up those trees. So at least twice a year, we try to switch it out.
1: Okay, that's really cool. I that's that's. I didn't realize it would be such a such a journey. I know that you uh you you know you guys aren't able to talk to them directly, but from the way that they act and such, do they seem surprised, interested, curious when that happens?
0: would say that they're probably a little more curious than anything. Definitely when they come out and they see what has happened, it takes them a few days to kind of learn their path that they like to take, kind of figure out, do I trust this? Do I Can I go over there? Can I take this path to get up to the front where I want to go? So you can tell for a couple days after we do it, definitely gets them thinking, gets them mental, mentally stimulated on the new environment in there. When we're doing it, they're probably most curious. Maybe all these men coming in, people that they haven't seen coming in and out of their exhibit. So a little more questioning of that aspect.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Very cool. And um, what is their, uh, like, do they have an off-exhibit holding area that they can go to? How, how you know, what what's their setup like with that?
0: They do. So they have this on exhibit here and then behind they each have uh, two dens on either side. So if they go back there, they have a den on the left and then another den on the right. They don't really like to go in there together that way. They at least have a den that one of each can go into. In the wintertime, it is heated. They do prefer to be a little bit cold outside, so they usually don't use the heated den. In the summertime, it is a little bit cooler in there. It's darker. It's a little more damp. They like to go in there. We'll put an air conditioning system in the back so it keeps it a little bit cooler for them as well.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for this.
0: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: All right. So there you have it, folks. And you can check out all of the adventures of uh, Shermie and Mohu by going to at Brandywine Zoo on social media pages or by going to their website, brandywinezoo.org. And uh, hey, I'd like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons, Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey. And remember, friends, the word credits backwards is stider. The Rossifari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley gross Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray.